Crawford's just better now. That's all you can say. Run, Lindsey! Lindsey Scott! Lindsey Scott! Lindsey Scott! Welcome to the Blog the Dogs podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, bark to people. Welcome back, everyone. Today we have another interview guest for y'all. Singer, songwriter, and country music recording artist and double dog, Ray Fulcher. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited for y'all to hear this one. You know, when you are as avid a fan as me and Boss are... You feel like there's only a certain amount of people that speak your language and you talk to somebody like Ray and you're like, man, he is all in like we are. And it's just awesome to kind of talk with somebody like that. And then on top of that, his story is just fantastic. Um, kind of betting on himself, taking a leap and moving to Nashville and, you know, just doing everything his his heart could have ever dreamed of. So just a great story um, and great music. So if I could suggest something for you for your, your summer road trip playlist, why don't you get that uh, couple of raised songs like Down on My Window or Dirt On It or Anything Like You Dance or Song of the Summer, probably the four that I'm spinning the most in my car. My kids seem to love those four too. So we've just been jamming out to some Ray Fulcher stuff since, since we talk to him so um also give him a follow on twitter uh his twitter handle is call me underscore raymond that's call me underscore raymond uh follow him on instagram at ray fulcher music um go ahead and follow him on youtube subscribe to his page you can hear all his music see his videos on there and give his website a follow at rayfulchermusic.com so you can check out where he's going to be doing shows all those type of things when things get back to normal uh, he's been doing a ton of stuff virtual on ig live on facebook things of that nature so a lot of opportunities to hear his music it's fantastic and he is just a died in the wool dog so so lots and lots of reasons to support ray um and without further ado here is our interview with ray fulcher we are fired up to be joined by ray fulcher today ray is born and raised in harlem georgia he is a double dog he got his bachelor's degree and his master's at uga he moved to Nashville in 2014 to pursue a career as a singer-songwriter. He was the first songwriter signed to a publishing deal by Riverhouse Artists. He co-wrote eight songs on Luke Combs' double platinum debut album, This One's For You, including the number one hit single, When It Rains, It Pours, as well as eight songs on Luke's second album, What You See Is What You Get, including Even Though I'm Leaving and Does To Me. Ray is also an accomplished country music artist touring the country with artists like Chris Jansen, Matt Stell, Morgan Wallen, and of course, Luke Combs. And his current EP, Somebody Like Me, is available on all major music platforms. Ray, welcome to the show. We're jacked up to have you, brother. How's it going, man? I'm jacked up to be here. Uh, I told you this off air, but I'll tell it again. The, the reason why we're having you on is because Chris Durham shared the, the gospel of Ray Fulcher with us, and, and we just we wanted to hear your story and let you tell it. So I got to send Chris Durham some free some new uh, merchandise or something, you know, like heck, yeah, man, care package. Yeah, heck yeah, I, I, I'm all about that. So, so just tell us a little bit about growing up in Harlem and what that was like, and uh, so just situate me a little bit for this. So you're like 20 minutes west of Augusta, southwest of Augusta, something like that. About 20 miles just west off I-20 from Augusta, so. And Harlem is about five miles off the exit. So it's just right there. It's like one of the, if you were coming from Atlanta to Augusta, it's like four, four or five exits before you get to like Augusta proper. 
right there. On, you get off the exit on the right, five miles, you're in Harlem. And small town, right? Yes, very small town. One red light. I think uh, when I was in school, our high school was AAA, but that was actually from, if it was just Harlem, it would have been probably not even 1A, but it was, it, it included a, a town called Grove Town as well, which is across. So small town, one red light, I think, you know, 2,000 people, something like that. So I, I have a little bit of interest in this just because um, my dad and I went to the Masters a couple years ago. And it was so awesome. So, like, what is it like in the Harlem area, like, during that week? Like, do people rent out houses and all that kind of stuff? Like, what's the atmosphere like? Well, that's what's wild about the Masters is even, you know, Harlem is to get to, like, Augusta National. That's a good, I'd say, 30-minute drive to Augusta National. But even out in Harlem, yeah, people rent their houses out. And that was always, growing up, that was our spring break, you know, in school. That's when all the schools took spring break in Augusta area. You know, and, and as I've gotten older, and even then I appreciated it when I was a kid because I was, I like, whether it was my dad or whoever explained it, how wild it was for the, the most famous golf tournament in the world to be right up the street. But especially as I got older, you know, and just, it's just a, man, for that one week, it's like the whole world is centered in Augusta and it's wild. It's like a, I like to tell people, there's like, what's Masters Week like? And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, it's like adult spring break a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thir- it's like, th- 30 and above spring break kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. We uh we had to stay in Columbia just cuz we got we got we found out we were going to I got tickets through a college teammate and uh it was awesome it, it was a 70th birthday present for my dad. I mean it was just really really cool thing. And um yeah, but by the time we found out, I mean everything's booked. I mean it was just it was bananas. So uh but yeah, it, it was really cool and um just just a fun event. So that's neat to be close to that. So so I read something. So why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Uh, tell me the role that horses played in your upbringing. So man, I uh, I think we started having horses when I was probably I want to say eight years old. And man, from and I always kind of loved you know we always trail rode and stuff like that. Just being from the country and all. And then then I started down this path of uh, barrel racing, which I don't know if you know what that, but it's a, it's a rodeo event. And it's about six, it's 16, basically it's 16 seconds of one of the biggest adrenaline rushes you could have being on the back of a horse running full speed and like turning these, you know, what amount to 55 gallon drums, you know, and in a pattern and, you know, seeing who the, the fastest one is. And the cool thing for, you know, for guys like me, especially back when I was a kid is they have uh, what they call is they have one different divisions so they have the first division second division third division so the fastest horse period is wins like the first division and so it's kind of it's kind of weird how they do it if i was one of those horses that was like maybe the sixth or seventh fastest horse i wouldn't be happy about this because the first five like the first the top five fastest horses get you know kind of get paid one through five and then but the way the second division starts is a second slower than the first division winner. So if the first division winner wins a, like a 14.5 second, wins it. Well, if you're 14.8, you're kind of out of, you're, you're kind of out of luck, but 15.5 is going to be first place in the second division. 16.5 will be first place in the third division. So there's a lot of right, wrong, or different. I don't know, but it worked out for me because I was in that 2D range a lot of times, you know, so. Oh, that's cool. That's so I play a lot of like golf scrambles in the summertime. It's like a golf scramble. I like, they like flight it. It's flight, flight it. They definitely. Yeah. Play. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, so is that, did I read that you got to go to like a national event with that? Like, so when I was, I think I was 13, they have a, um, a youth 
so 18 and under. So all, each each kind of rodeo or, or show we call them. No matter how young you are, you can race against all the adults, and that's kind of an all ages heat or whatever you know, all ages event. But there's also an 18 and under event. So if you you can qualify if you you know enough points throughout the year, you can qualify for the for the regional and then like the world championships. And also if you're if you're under 18, you can also qualify for the world championship or the youth, what they called it, youth world championship. So I got enough, you know, won enough events or placed in enough events to gain enough points to go to kind of a a show that was like a more regional kind of show and then got enough points to where, yeah, I made it to the youth world finals, which was in Memphis. And uh, so really cool, man. You know, looking back on, you know, I think it's even cooler now looking back on it than I kind of remember it. Being because you're a kid and you're in the middle of it, you don't, you know, as, you, as an adult, you kind of like understand the significance of, of events a little more. You know what I mean? And and like, man, that was wild that I made it there, you know. And so it's kind of cool, cool, and to look back on and and to have that kind of thing under my belt. So yeah, I get that. I played a lot of travel baseball growing up, and uh, yeah. we played at a um, kind of national championship event down at the wide world of sports complex at disney um back when it was first starting like you know like 98 99 and uh yeah. it's the same thing you know, like we look back at it now and like talk to some of my teammates about it and it's like man that was that's yeah. pretty cool you know i mean you're, you're just worried about like playing but you look back and you're like right. that, was, that was something yeah that was so well tell me tell me about how the role athletics played in your life obviously like barrel racing is an athletic endeavor yeah. and then um you, you kind of transitioned to high school and and what sports were you playing there and what was the role that that played my favorite sport growing up was baseball and, and I loved I loved football but when I was a kid um and basketball I played I played all three I played basketball baseball and football I think as a kid though my uh my passion was baseball and in my mind it was like I mean I'm going to be a you know I don't care what y'all say like I'm gonna play major league baseball like I know that you say it's like one in a million but whatever bro you don't know that you know and so anyway, that was my mindset back then and um, I rem- and my parents will tell you this uh, until this is until I mean, through middle school and, and some of high school when like, you know, when I when I would get home, you know, when I would get home in time to watch them. But I mean, I would watch as a like seven and eight year old entire Braves games, all nine innings. And my parents were always like as I got older, they were like, we never understood how an eight year old could be like entertained by nine innings of TV baseball. And I just loved it. And I love love the Braves. And. So anyway, play and, and you know sports is, you know, until I, I was, till I got into music. I mean, sports was like the passion in my life, and, and 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 still is one of like the two what I would say passions in my life. But it was I I eat, you know, ate, breathed, sleeped it, you know, and um, played played baseball kind of growing up through the you know Dixie Youth, and then. Uh, throughout high school um, and then uh, basketball was kind of I didn't I didn't play in in high school but played that growing up and then football I played in a in a middle school and high school I, lo- I missed my first two years of high school with a kind of pretty terrible leg injury I'm kind of lucky to have my leg be honest with you it was a farm equipment accident you know and that kind of that accident more than anything probably altered the course of my life you know but you know looking back it's a, it's a great thing you know at the time it was a bummer, obviously, but yeah. So I mean, I had like opportunities to go play small colleges, baseball, and stuff, and um, I ended up only losing like uh, part of one, 
part of one season in baseball, just the way the injury landed. But football obviously was it was tougher uh, to come back from with that injury. But anyway, super, super passionate about that growing up and then got accepted to the University of Georgia. And then I had a decision to make as far as am I going to play, try to play ball at a little school or go to my dream school? Because roll back a little bit, I think there's a couple moments in life where I go, that changed everything. And the first one is the first Georgia football game I went to. And that was uh, they played – uh, Southern Miss in 1997, the uh, season opener. And I remember being there and just, you know, I'd never been to a game before. And, you know, I was excited to go, but I'd been to like, you know, in my mind, high school games were as good as they get when I was a little kid. And, and then I, I went in there and I just remember the, the energy and the adrenaline and like the pageantry was just absolutely blew my mind. And I fell head over heels in love with it and still in love with it. And so, Fast forward to the end of high school, I, you know, I had a decision to make. And uh, so I decided to uh, to forego playing uh, ball in college and uh, and go to Georgia. So what position were you in baseball? What did you play? I played uh, – I started out in um, – when I was a little kid, it was second base and, and pitcher. And then uh, when I – in high school, I was uh, third base. And then, um, then I moved over to – actually wound up moving over to – first base and played first base and pitcher most like my last two years. And then what schools were you, were you considering to go play ball at? I think one was like Erskine college, I think was one of them. And then I think they were the ones that kind of showed the most interest or whatever. And then it was kind of some walk on offers and stuff and like other places or just, Hey, come out, come make the team kind of thing. And so, you know, and at the end of the day, I just juggled it and I was like, this is a dream opportunity. I've always wanted to go to Georgia. So, you know, am I, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, you know, is this a are we looking at a at a major league baseball? You know, is this a, is this going to be a career? You know, for me, it was like, you know, probably should be honest with yourself. It probably ain't going to be. And so I, I went to Georgia. And- so I kind of have a little bit of a reverse story. So I went to I went to William and Mary and I played baseball there. So small school, no big. I mean, we have a football team, but it's one double A. So it's you know, it's. It ain't it ain't much different in high school really from a from a perspective of competitiveness and whatnot. What town is William Marion? Uh Williamsburg. So about an hour east of Richmond. I passed through that campus by the stadium a bunch on the road and stuff. So well, yeah, that's funny you brought that up. Anyway. Well, so a lot of uh a lot of great football names, right? Like Lou Holtz used to be coach there, Marv Levy, all this stuff. Like good history and everything, but it's just not the same, right? So we had uh, we had fall break after fall practice ended one year, and we had like good friend from high school. She invited us to come down and hang out with her in Athens. Yeah. So my brother was playing at Charlotte, and we were both like, well, hell yeah, like let's go, let's go. But we just went to hang out, right? Right. And um, so, dude, we, we go out all night in Athens, and it's my first time in Athens, me and him are like, I mean, eyes just big as saucers, right? Like, I mean, it was incredible. So many bars, and sh- we she had gotten fake IDs for us. I mean, it was we were living we were living in high cotton, brother. So, um, dude's like, so we, I mean, we probably stayed out till like three o'clock, right? So we're thinking we're just gonna sleep in because kicks at three thirty the next day. Dude, she comes rapping on our door at like seven forty five. She's like, it's time to go. We're like, go where? We just got home. <laughs> so she, uh, George was playing Auburn. 3.30 kick on CBS, and uh, her mama went to Auburn. So her mama has this big tailgate, like right outside the freshman dorm. Right. And, uh, dude, we like tailgate all morning, got great food, great times. I mean, we were just, you know, enamored with it even before we get to the game. So, like, 
we go to the game. She got a student ticket. So we're like passing IDs back through the gates to like get in. And then we sit in the end zone and it's the game where uh, Jason Campbell's quarterback and they're on like the two yard line in the fourth quarter game was still kind of, kind of in jeopardy. Like it was 19, nothing, but you know, it could have gone either way. And uh, Odell Thurman takes it. I mean, all the way to the house, brother. He was thinking about it. Yeah. Oh man. It was like, he was, I mean, my brother, Chris, and I talk about it all the time. It was like, he was running right at us. And yeah. since then, I mean, I just we we could we couldn't kick it. I mean, we have been all in ever since that day. So, like similar story to you, like just it was such a it just changes you a little bit, like man, yeah, it does. Um, so 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 cool. So like, well, so tell me about that then. So you get to you get to Georgia. What, what year did you start there? I started at Georgia in two thousand and oh man, golly, two thousand fall two thousand three actually two thousand three. So oh man, so you're there like David Green, DJ Shockley. Uh, SEC championship run the whole or yeah. the uh, quarterback when I yeah when I when I was a freshman. So now did you? I know when you were there, you were doing work as student assistant and quarterbacks assistant. Were you doing that straight from freshman year? Like, t- tell us how that opportunity materialized. This story the other day, and I was just like thinking back on it about how how the, it what I'm about to tell you kind of taught me a life lesson, and, and it was so I was there my freshman year and didn't you know was just super pumped to be at Georgia and but had no affiliation with the football team but it was after that when I went to school or sorry when I went to that first Georgia game it was almost like you know I always had that dream of playing playing ball major league baseball but then it became a double dream of like playing football at Georgia so anyway you know obviously I couldn't play football at Georgia but I was thinking to myself I'm like man if you know I can't play the second best thing would be to somehow work for the team so it was towards the end of – it was right after spring practice of 2004, so like the end of my freshman year. And I remember going to the football office, just walking in, just wandering around there, and like nobody said up to me. And I'm like, that's awesome. So I finally I go down to the second floor where the football – like where I figured out the football offices were. And uh, Tammy Mettenberger was the secretary there, which, I, which became a really good friend of mine. And so – she asked me, and if you know Tammy, you'll just know this is how she is. She goes, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, my name's Ray Fulcher. I don't have any affiliation with here, but I just love Georgia. I'm a freshman, and I'm seeing if there was any, I don't know how to ask this, but any openings or any way I can help the team. And she was like, so you just walked in here and asking for a job. And I said, that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically what I'm doing. And she goes, huh. It's like, well, I admire your courage. He goes, I don't, I wouldn't be the one to know that, but let me get somebody up here that can help answer that. So she calls a, a fellow up there and he comes in and grabs me and shakes my hand. And it ends up being Dave Allen, uh, who is the head equipment manager at Georgia for a long, long time. So, um, and I remember we, you know, also, if you know Dave, if you ever, if you knew Dave, then you would know that this is pretty typical of him. But, you know, we don't say anything to me. We just walk down to the equipment room and, He's like, yeah, that's some of the lockers. Go check in. And me, I'm like, I think I'm living an outer body experience. You know, he's been doing it for 30 <laughs> years, so he's just like, yeah, you know, damn tile players leaving damn towels out everywhere, you know, and stuff like that. So we go in the uh, equipment room and we sit down. And we're, we still haven't talked about the job. We're just like, we're just talking. And so eventually he's like, well, Tammy said you're looking for a job and seemed like a pretty good guy. He's like, we, uh, Got two openings. Two of these boys got caught drinking. I'm gonna have to kick them off. And so, uh, <laughs> you got two openings, and you uh, seem like a pretty good guy. So uh, 
it's be here August 1st. And I was like, so does that mean that like I'm coming back for another interview? He's like, no, you got the damn job. And I was like, <laughs> well, well, forgive me for being, you know, and he's like, you know, he's like, it ain't that hard. We'll teach you whatever. So anyway, I show up August 1st. And then the thing about being a manager is, you know, it ain't like high school. It's like, it was, you know, we dealt with, with all kinds of stuff, not just equipment, but also with the coaches. And like, what we also did is we got paired with, with a position that we kind of helped out. My first year was running backs. And then I got to know coach Bobo, coach Bobo really well. And and so, and as I, uh, you know, as I became a, a second year guy, I went over to the quarterbacks and then I became almost like a, a student assistant too, because I was, I was running all the drills, you know, for coach Bobo and charting stuff for him and all that. So even though my, my title was technically manager, I felt, I felt a lot more involved, which is awesome to me. You know, I want to be as involved as I possibly could be. And man, I stayed there and, and uh, actually wound up being a graduate assistant. And I mean, I still am such good friends with a lot of those guys. Talked to them today already, you know, from those years and, you know, and some of the best memories of my life. And I remember the first game that I was on the sidelines as uh, Boise State in uh, 2005. Because so the, the, the key is your first year. Your first year is almost like an initiation where you don't get to be on the sideline. It's like you put all, all in all the work. And it's like, I mean, I was literally putting in, I, mean, I, would, be, I would get there at two o'clock every day after classes, be there till eight, sometimes nine at night. And there ain't no days off because it's Saturday's game day and you're doing other stuff. But so for the first year, though, you, you got to do all the work. But you don't get to be on the sidelines or and help during the games, you know. Then as you get older, and you know, especially with Coach Bobo, I, I I needed to be there anyway. But and so the whole first year, I still was like, it was almost like a little. Uh, I wasn't a player, but it's almost like the, the the movie Rudy, where he's like still having to go to the and nobody believes him because he's not on the putting fifty hours a week, you know. And which I was fine with because I just loved I loved loved helping. And so I remember in two thousand five, my first game on the sidelines. I'll never forget that. I mean, it was like, I mean, I was on this adrenaline rush for like, I mean, just the entire game. And I mean, I could have run through a brick wall, you know, and it was um, luckily I didn't have anything important to do back then, like on game day, besides like just stuff, kind of reactionary stuff. I didn't have to chart or anything like that, but I, I'll never forget that Jared Zabransky's first pass got picked off by uh, Danielle Ellerby that game. And I, I'll always remember the vision of that. So anyway, I went on to, um, uh, and I'm still buddies with coach Bobo. And we, he, we talk about music and stuff and, and, uh, I'll send him music. And, and, uh, so we keep in touch and keep in touch with a lot of those guys. And anyway, I ended up being a, a graduate assistant and stayed on. So man, I was with a program from 2004 till, till I graduated my master's in uh, 2010. Oh, that's, inc- that's incredible. Well, let me ask you this then. So you were there during that time period, which first off, I mean, what an awesome time period to be there, right? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So tell me about, I was in, I was in law school in Boston when this happened, but even on TV, it was just ridiculous. But yeah. tell me about, tell me about the 07 blackout. Man, it was, I was thinking about that earlier when I was just thinking about this podcast and, and it was cool to be able to, well, number one, be there in 2005 with DJ and awesome guy. It was cool to be there with him. Um, and win the SEC championship, SEC championship that year, and and then in two thousand, you know, six Stafford came along, and and I was good buddies with Joe Cox, and me and Joe still talk and stuff. And to watch, to have to, part of what I did was, 
run routes and stuff sometimes with these guys. And, and a lot of times I would do the drills with the quarterbacks because I would be the – I would make a five-quarterback room. I'd be the sixth guy. So I'd be actually doing the drills with them and stuff. And and I remember sometimes i get paired up with Stafford and he would just about break my rib every day. <laughs> uh, anyway, so 2007, the blackout game was just unbelievable. And so it was – it was really cool to be able to be on the inside of that and know that um, I was kind of in the know to where the the head equipment manager and his assistant kept kept it such on such good under lock and key that uh, even we didn't know the guys who work around it every day didn't know until the night before and they like needed our help and so but we. We, we put out their normal jerseys and stuff. And then we had this couple of other bins that just are normal, normally there anyway, but they had like kind of a, a wooden top on it. And usually you just take the wooden top off for them to throw their jerseys in and stuff after the game. So we had those same ones in there, but what they didn't know what was, what was up under them. So they go out for, and I was, I had to be out there on the field for warmups and stuff. And so, but I knew what was going to be in there when we walked back in. So I remember we walked in the locker room and right before the game, and all of a sudden they, uh, they, you know, coach Rick said something like, you know, uh, we got an announcement, you know, over here in this corner. And I remember they threw out the first black Jersey and that, I mean, I'll, you, you can't have more energy and like more. Yes. It was the roof. I don't know how the roof didn't come off of the locker room. And those guys coming out of the, coming out of the locker room onto the field, man, I just, People, you know, say this and stuff and like that's the only that's the only game in my whole tenure where I was like, Auburn doesn't stand a chance today. They just don't stand a chance, you know, kind of like it felt in Williams Bryce in 2012. You know what I mean? That that night game in Carolina where it felt a little bit like I don't think anybody could have beat him that day. And it felt like that that 2007 blackout game against Auburn with the black jerseys felt like that yeah so you talked a little bit about the sec championship game what what was that experience like i'm always curious what what it's like to watch that from the inside and watch a team like that kind of gel i mean that team dealt with some things you know i think what gets forgotten about that is dj gets hurt and if he's not hurt i mean we were my brother and i were at the game in jacksonville almost beat him with you know with joe t almost beat him with joe t yeah so you got to figure they win that game and i mean just one of those years, right? Funny year. And then the, uh, the Auburn game that year where we were up and then Cox, I think it was, threw the pass. Brandon Cox throws the pass over the middle at the very end of the game when we're up. And Trey Battle later on, you know, not even then, but later on realizes that he had a that he had a concussion. And so he comes up and um but he's fighting through it, trying to battle it, battle through it and don't realize that he's even got a concussion. Comes up and, you know, the guy breaks the arm tackle. And uh, goes down, and then Paul Oliver strips the ball, and then like any other ball would probably ever do if he did it a hundred more times. If it goes out the back of the end zone, it's our ball, and we win the game. But it's sitting right. in the very back of the end zone. They jump on it. Yep. So yeah, so that's how they won that game, and that's two losses right there that you just that close to being you know undefeated. Still going into that game. Yep. Yeah. So then, and then you get to. 
I remember this game because um, my wife was, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but she was doing a grad school interview for PT school at Emory. So we were actually in Atlanta that weekend. And, I, you know, I just remember reading the papers. It was almost like a foregone conclusion that LSU is going to win, and kind of make their way. And, uh, you know, <laughs> dogs just come out firing, baby. And oh my God. It, the dome was electric. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, I've never seen a player – I've never seen a player hit a hit another gear and and be as good as as good as they possibly can be like DJ played that day. I mean those deep passes were I mean put putting them in like I mean putting them in four inch circles. I mean exactly where and I remember that was like Sean Bailey's kind of breakout game. He had those two long touchdown catches and um but yeah, and then our defense, like Quentin Moses, got after old Jamarcus Russell that game, and man, I just. But yeah, so the way it felt on the sideline was, you know, going into that, obviously being part of the program, it's like we got a real shot at this and stuff. But I don't, you know, the way it the way it went down, it was like we hit they hit LSU, they hit LSU in the mouth, like right from the beginning. I think it stunned them a little bit, and I don't know if they recovered to be honest, you know. But yeah, that was. I mean, running around that, running around the Georgia Dome after that game, and like, be it, that was really the pinch me moment. I was like, how? Like, I grew up, you know, such a fan, and my dream was to, you know, play football at Georgia, and to not, not, not actually be a player, but to be part of that was just unbelievable. To this day, it's like hard to even. When as I'm telling you this story, I'm like, man, that's wild that I, you know, happened to be there. Yeah. So one of the things that. Um, my co-host boss and I've talked about that's been great about doing this podcast is getting to talk with folks connected with the program that have been in the program. And, you know, you're a fan and you follow it. And so you're, you're invested in it. But what's been great is getting to hear people tell their stories and kind of get to know them a little bit. And it's been incredible. And it's made, I think, the connection even greater because you start to root for them as much as people, you know? So can you talk a little bit about, since you were part of the program for that long, the relationships that you formed with guys and what that means to you now? Yeah. I mean, it was incredible experience. Like you said, I mean, to get to know a lot of those, you know, a lot of those players, like Joe was a big fisherman. So we would go, I think Joe taught Stafford really a lot of kind of like how to bass fish and stuff. And we would go fishing and just hearing those, those high school, the, you know, the stories of the, the, high, the, the, the high school lore stories that they can tell are unbelievable. Like the independence, one like Stafford being on that team that wound up in, in Stafford's high school team wound up getting like nine guys drafted off that team and stuff. Just, just unbelievable thing. And just hearing those stories and then also just getting to know the guys as, as like people. And then you realize, you know, like, you know, these are, these are dudes that are just like me, but they're just super talented and super dedicated to their craft and, and just uh, locker rooms being how locker rooms will be just the laughs and the jokes and the, the funny stuff that happens. And uh, with not just the players, but also, you know, some of the coaches and, and, uh, and, and our, our, the guys who I worked with in the back there in the equipment room and, and, you know, those other students, man, it almost felt like a, in a way, it, it felt like our own little fraternity. And to this day, because, I mean, you, blood, sweat, and tears of those guys. It was like, you get, we got yelled at like the players did. We were out there bef- a lot of times before they would get there and after they left. And we spent so much time together and on road trips, the stories on, 
you know, we'd have our little traditions on road trips, whether it was going to this certain certain restaurant or, you know, we'd always if we'd been there the year before or a couple years before, we would know like like in, we came to Nashville and stuff. So we would all go to Broadway. And like I said, if we just spent so much time together. It felt like our own little fraternity. And then, you know, at the head of all that, the top of, the, of that food chain was Coach Rick. And for him to be the, you know, and, and people ask me some time and times, like Coach Rick, the guy that like that, that uh, he seems to be on camera. And I'm like every bit of the guy. And like it was really cool to be able to go in and, and see that what you see is what you get with this guy. And he was, you know, a, a leader of men and just an unbelievable father figure, a cool guy to work for. So wise, you know, and so kind and and uh, those guys love playing for him. And just some of those, you know, just stories from the practice field that we, <laughs> that's funny. We, uh, me and a buddy were talking earlier about a coach, uh, you know, a thing that he, that one of the coaches said oh, during practice one day. So it's like those stuff just, it's like some of the best times of your life and is, a, you know, it is a sport, it is a team, but it felt like a whole lot like family. And so that's what the coolest part you know, to me was, and even, even now, you know, some of those players who like Chris Durham and those guys, you know, don't, you know, I wasn't a player and they all treated me really well, but you know, it's not, they don't have to be out here like supporting and following me, but they do because it was just, you know, to them, it was like, if he's working for the team and he's like busting his butt, even if it's a different role than we are, like we respect that guy. And like, he's one of us to kind of have lived through that is really cool and something I'll kind of always take with me. So Athens and the University of Georgia obviously have a special place in your heart because of your kinship to the football team and your love of sports. But there are other reasons, other seminal reasons that Athens is important. to you. So I want to I want to read you some lyrics. And then after I get done reading the lyrics, I just want you to talk about whatever you want to talk about. OK. All right. These four walls of Farmworth are closing in on me. My final meal's over. They're going to set me free. I can feel the fires are burning as the devil guards my door. I hit my knees in search of Jesus on a cold jailhouse floor. When you hear that, what does that make you think of? It makes me think of the moment my life changed forever. The first time I heard those words, I was at Georgia Theater. First time I ever saw Eric Church and Eric. So I had never seen him and I actually hadn't heard any of his music. Um, but some buddies of mine were kind of right on. They were on the Eric wagon from real early on and before even his first album came out. And uh, they were like, you're going to love this guy, you know come and come and check him out. And so I went to Georgia theater with him and halfway through the show, I remember being like already a fan. I was just like, golly, this guy's really good. I'm super glad I came to this. Cause it was one of those where I didn't know who it was. So it was it wasn't like, I was super pumped about going. I was just like, I'll go with my buddies. And <clears throat> but he, uh, he played that song and I always loved music growing up. I mean, I especially country music and I, but I remember he sent the band off and he played that song by himself. And I it, and it's not that it's not that the lyrics were something that I'd lived or anything, but it was the way he performed it and the way he made me feel with that song was just something I had never felt before. And I remember just going like, num- number one, I'm now this guy's biggest fan because. But number two, I just remember looking around at the people and looking up at him and like thinking to myself, I know this is crazy, but I got to do that whatever he's doing, like doing, making me feel however he's making me feel. I got to find a way to make somebody feel like that with a song and a guitar. And at that point I didn't know how to play guitar. I went next week and bought a guitar and, you know, to see 14, at least 
at least 13, maybe 14 years ago. So anyway, and here we are talking, but that's where it all started, man. That's where the dream started. And, and our, and, and it was crazy. And I think that goes back to the Dave Allen thing I was telling you about is me walking in there, Georgia, you know, that day, like if I had any sense at all of how things worked, I would have been like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to walk in there. They're going to look at me like I'm an idiot. But because I didn't, I just took a chance, you know, on just basically, you know, took the, took the jump. It was like, look what happened. And so in my mind, it's like, it happened once. All it takes is a little belief. You know what I mean? So started playing guitar and, and got good enough to play a little couple shows around Athens, which I say good enough. That does not mean I was good. I definitely wasn't back then. As good as I thought I was, I was not. But but yeah, man, that those those lines right there when the start of a whole different trajectory in life for me. I want you to harp on this because I think it's important and, and we've had other guests talk about this. I, I think what happens sometimes when people are pursuing their dream and to the outside world it seems like they have hit it, uh, the illusion is that all that happened overnight. But that's not how it works. I think your story is great, right? Because so you're talking 2000, 2005, 2006, somewhere in that area. Six, I think, is when I is when when he came to Georgia Theater. Yeah, maybe seven, but somewhere in there. And it's all that work and all that drive that gets you to now. And so tell us, tell us a little bit about the mechanics of that journey starting. Like, I'm always curious about this. Like when you when you embark on a new endeavor like that, like how do you even figure out like well, man, I can sing or like, man, I can, I can write or, or I can learn. Like, how do you, how do you kind of come to all that? For me, it was, and I think if I would have thought it, if that night, if my dream would have been like, or if I would have said to myself, oh, I'm going to go to Nashville and make it. I don't think I would have got very far because here's how my mindset was, was for me, it was like, if I can make one person feel like Eric did and learn, maybe learn a couple of songs and like, they, then that was going to be enough for me. So, but here's what happens is you go buy a guitar and then there's like little bitty dreams within the dream. And so you go buy a guitar and then you go, well, man, I got this guitar now. Let me learn a couple of chords and you learn a couple of chords and you go, man, I bet I could play a couple of songs if I really wanted to. And so then you play some songs and then you go, man, I know this is wild, but what if I played a couple of shows in Athens? And then you play a couple of shows and then you're like, I know this is crazy, but what if I tried to like write my own songs, like would anybody care? I'm going to go see if I can write a song. And then it's like one little thing where you go to, to then all of a sudden you've moved back home from Georgia or t- back to Harlem from, from Athens. And you've been there a couple of years playing out and stuff. And it, all those little dreams get you to the point where you go, can I make a career out of this? And then that's the craziest one of all. And then the the choice of like making the jump to move to Nashville or not, because in country music, if you're not in Nashville, it's it's just close to impossible as far as commercial country radio and stuff like that. And so that's for me, it's like if I would have thought the first time that I had like a setback and my goal was like making it in Nashville, that would have seemed like such a distant thing and, and impossible to accomplish that it, probably would have discouraged me to the point where I just played guitar as a hobby. But for me, it's like that never came, that never even came across in my head until it became close enough to reality where I thought I may could accomplish it. Before that, it was just these tiny little goals that I like kept setting and kept doing the next thing. So 
Yeah, and, and it wound up taking 10 years from the time I, that the dream started till I had my first number one song as a songwriter. And, a, you know, a thousand shows, 500,000 miles, five, 600 songs written in between to get to get there. Yeah, so one of my favorite videos, it's kind of one of these things I go back and, and look at when I kind of need to center. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Steve Harvey does this thing after Family Feud or, or after his talk show where he comes out. Have you seen his jump? Like he talks oh. about... Oh, good, man. Oh, God, it's, it's it's so good. Like, it just lifts you up, right? And so I, your story has a lot of that in you, you know, just kind of having faith in, in, the, in the gift and the mission and, and, that, and that you'll get there. So what was, I guess, to, to that point, what was, what was your leaping point to go, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Nashville. For about a year there, I was, I was in Augusta and I had a, you know, I had a good job and stuff and, and, and actually didn't. I didn't go into what I got. I got my master's in education and I was going to be a football coach and a baseball coach and a teacher. And, and that would have been a great occupation. But I didn't go into that because I knew that this other thing was pulling at my heart. And I knew that if I went into that, that probably was going to be a path that would be hard to kind of back out of kind of thing. So I was like, until I figure this out, you know, I'm going to try to get. And I was so I was actually a sales assistant sales manager at a gym in Augusta. Well, that was kind of the last of the jobs I had there. But um and I remember for about a year going, changing my mind 50 times going, I'm going. And I'm like, no, it doesn't, like, it doesn't make sense. Like my family's here. And at the time I had a girlfriend back home and, you know, it just, it makes sense to stay. Like I went and got a degree for all this and then went back and forth, back and forth. And there was times where I was convinced, like, I'm not going, you know, I convinced myself to not, to just like stay in. But every time that would happen, a couple weeks later, it would kind of tug at me again. And so finally, I remember one day, at work there, I just remember going like trying to make it simple in my head and just uh, ask myself this question. If I don't, and I could have a great life without going, but if I don't, will I wake up at 40 and regret it? And if I do wake up at 40 and regret it, is that something that I can live with? And for me, it was, yes, I will regret it. And no, I can't live with that. And so that I was just like, and that's, that was just like the, the moment then where the light went off and I was like, okay, even if I go there and fall on my face, that's way better than not doing it. So when you left, did you just pack it up and roll by yourself? Did you, did you have any connections in Nashville, like folks you knew, like from college or anything? Like what was that? How'd that go? That same week where I decided in my head, like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to do it. I knew one person in Nashville and I only met him once, but that I met him uh, through a friend of mine who actually is, crazy enough, my drummer today still, I met, uh, they knew each other from a, a childhood friendship and I was in Nashville actually recording a couple songs and that was the kind of the first trip I made for music and I just kind of went to a studio and recorded and I met him and so I remember he's like the only, really the only guy I knew in Nashville and so I, that same week at work, you know, I kind of made up in my mind like, all right, I got to figure this out but I'm going. You know, I just remember him going, on Facebook, he put up a thing. It was like, Hey, just rented a new house. It's five bedroom. We have four of us. If anybody knows anybody looking for a place in Nashville or whatever, like hit me up. And I remember I literally right then I go, I, I mess without even thinking. I messaged him and go, Hey, I'll take the room. Tell me how much I'll be there in a couple months. And then he wrote back and was like, cool. We'll send over the uh, lease or whatever. Within the week, I'm like, you know, doing the, e-signature thing sent it and i was in and so for me it was like 
I didn't give my, I, I didn't, I try not to give myself enough time to get scared. I was just like, I've made this decision in my mind. This is almost like a God thing that was meant to happen. I saw this yeah. on Facebook. The one guy I know is needed his roommate. Boom, gone. So May of 2014 is when I moved. So where was where was the place? What part of Nashville was it in? Uh, Antioch. So it was a little five bedroom spot. And man, I stayed there for probably almost three years. And we, we made like a little right room in the basement area and stuff. And some of those uh, songs that on Luke's, Luke Combs' first record that we wrote were written down in that little spot, like little tiny room, like down in the basement area of that, of that house. So I got to ask you about this because, um, so my brother used to live in Nashville, uh, one that's a big dogs fan, um, lived there for, I can't remember if Chris lived there two or three years, but, um, we went out to see him in 2016 and, uh, we're fortunate enough to win the, well, I say win, but get in on the lottery and we got tickets to the bluebird and six o'clock, the six o'clock show. And, uh, we go and, um, it's me and my wife and, um, my brother and his uh, girlfriend at the time. And we sit down and the, in the round that night was Lucy Silvas, John Green, Busby and Barry Dean. Oh, wow. Oh, brother. Let me tell you something. I mean, it was magical. And so like, I am the biggest advocate. Tell anybody that'll listen, Hey, we're going to Nashville. Look, I don't care what y'all do. You better beg bar and steal and get your butt to the bluebird. Tell me your, your bluebird stories and your bluebird experiences. Yeah. So the, the first time I played at the bluebird, I uh, was with actually with Luke and uh, Randy Montana, another fellow who's in a uh, name Rob, who's in Luke's band. Um, and I think Hurricane was kind of on the radio then. But dude, I'm telling you, I ain't never been more nervous in my life than playing the Bluebird because you're in like the circle, you know. You're well, so t- tell the listeners it's small. Yeah. So it's called a, it's a listening room. So it's tiny. It's a listening room, and it's tiny. I mean, it's probably. I mean, I'm thinking what I think the capacity is like 70, 60 maybe. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of writers rounds are in Nashville. You'll kind of be on stage, like in a line, like a normal stage and people are out in front. Well, this is the the songwriters are in a, literally in a circle and everybody in the center of the room. And then everybody is around them looking into the circle. And it's so magical in there. And I tell you this, you better not make a sound if you go to Bluebird because they don't play with that in there. I mean, a phone goes off, you're out of there. If you're having a conversation, they'll warn you once. And if they see you again, you're out of there. Seen it happen. And uh, so it's just, it's very reverent. It's a very reverent thing. And, um, you know, there at the Bluebird, the the songwriters just, you know, to them, it's the name of their game is not the guys on the radio. That's the people who are like behind the the songs and, and just some of the world's greatest songwriters play there. So, and, and, and what's cool is you kind of, they, and they want you to, is like, you get to tell the story of each song before you play it. And you can hear a pin drop in that place. And I remember the first song I played there, I was so nervous. Um, I was playing the, the verses of the song, which I had played a thousand times during the verses of the songs I was singing and it went with the chords. It wasn't like it was off key. I was so nervous that I, I was singing a different melody than my I ended up singing the melody to this and I had not listened to this song before, but I was singing the melody to a, like an Eric church song that kind of went over the chords that I was playing that two pink lines song I was singing the verse melody with my words, which is not the way that that song normally sang. And at the end of it, I just was, I remembered like wanting to crawl in a hole 
But then I, so I looked at Luke and I was like, I'm like saying that all wrong. He goes, nobody knew it, but you. So then I was just like, you know, cool. And, and it was cool to like get, I've, I've got to go back and play there a few times. And, and since I've had some, um, some big, some, some big songs on the radio and stuff that I've written and each time it's cooler to get, it's get, it's cool to go in there and like another, almost like I say, out of body experience is like, man, I'm in the bluebird and I'm telling the story of this number one song that I wrote. This just went like triple platinum and people are like hanging on my every word about this song. It's like, how did this happen? You know, it's a magical place, man. It really is. Well, first off, I'm so glad you used the word reverent because I've always thought ever since we went that it's so apropos that in the back corner by the bar for the folks that are the like standing room late edition tickets that it's pews because I think it is a church for songwriters. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it felt like to me. And I'm going to tell you, brother, it was, you know, I'm talking across all experiences. I'm not just talking music. I'm talking football games, sporting events, whatever it may be. It was top five for me, man. Like I've been to the Opry a bunch. It, it's just different. It was, we walked out and we were looking at each other like, that was something like, and to your point, the stories, man, like Lucy told some incredible stories and uh, she sang for the record that night. And it was before she had released it. And I'm going to tell you, man, mm-hmm. it like gutted me. Like it was it was just so good, and um, they all, they were all just so good. And the cool part for me, and this is what I think is cool about your story, a lot of people have dreams, right? But the dreams seem so big that they're scared to jump out and chase it. And all yep. I could think that night listening to the four of them was, all four of these folks are living in their light, man. Like they're doing what yep. their spiritual gift is. And, and, man, it was just, it was awesome. So, uh I love that. I just, I love the bluebird. I thank you for sharing that story with us. Cause such. Thank you for yours. That's awesome. Um, So then take, take us through then kind of the journey to the point where you get signed as a songwriter and kind of where that's gone into present day. So in, in uh, 20, I moved in 2014 and then uh, in 2016, I uh, signed, a publishing deal with Riverhouse Artists. So the way that that worked was that Luke and I, Luke Combs and I were playing. We met early on in 2014 when I, even before I moved, I was actually, sorry, sorry. When I moved before he moved, he was in town recording a couple songs and we happened to meet and really hit it off. And so when he, when he actually moved that September, he hit me up and, and we exchanged numbers and all that. We had, we had exchanged numbers and, um, we didn't write for a while. We just became friends. And, and, uh, but what we through that, what we did is we played a lot of songwriters rounds together. Those are all over town. Something like, like the bluebirds, the pinnacle of those, but there's those type of things that happen all over town. And those are not nearly as reverent or as like moving because of, you know, it's more of like a, a bar atmosphere or whatever. And, and, uh, anyway, so it was one of those, Luke had just got his uh, manager who was still his manager. And, uh, his manager had a friend named Lynn, Lynn Oliver, who was, had, a, had this dream of starting a publishing company and a, and a record company and had worked with uh, Jason Isbell at 30 Tigers and, and some stuff. I had a dream of doing her own thing. And so she came out and saw Luke and I play at this songwriters thing. And, and then it was after that night where, I mean, and, and Luke and I have been trying to get published deals, didn't know how to, or, you know, he didn't have a record deal, nothing, but she saw something special in us and, you know, basically was like, Hey, I want Luke. I want you to be my first artist. 
Ray, I want you to be my first writer. And for us, it was like, you know, number one, we didn't have any other offers, but number two, it was like, how cool is it for someone to believe in us that much to go, we want to start our company with you. So in 2016, we did that. Then we had all these songs that nobody, nobody wanted. Nobody like thought they were good enough to pitch to their artists. Nobody wanted to sign Luke to a record deal or whatever. Anyway, flash forward just a little bit. And, uh, Eight of those songs that we wrote was on that first record, which wound up being the having the longest reign at the, on the Billboard albums chart of any country artist ever, 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 ever. And all start. I mean, as far as our relationship with with Lynn and 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 getting kind of the kickstart we needed, it started that night at one of those writers' rounds, and she came and saw us, and you know, it's and another another wild thing to kind of think about, but. What's that moment like for you and for Luke, who are not just professionally working together, but your buddies? And you've put you've put your blood and sweat into this, and, and you you know you're sharing your dreams and and trying to navigate this path that's that's unknown. What was the moment for y'all where you kind of look at each other and go, "Dude, like we did it, like we made." It. I mean, I think for for us, as you know, it's Luke gets that record deal, and then you know he has that first number one as a artist and a songwriter with Hurricane, and then our song when it rains, it pours was a second, second single. And I think, man, I think it was like after I'll tell you when it was, it was Springfield, Illinois, Illinois. I was on tour with Luke at the time doing like a club tour. And, uh, I played and, and every once in a while, Luke would kind of call me out on stage and we'd do that song together. But that night he stopped and he's like, Hey y'all. Um, and so I got a, uh, I got a surprise for Ray and he don't know this. And I'm standing side stage. He's like, I'm about to get him up here, but he don't know that when he sings this song in a second, it's now the number one song in the country. And so I got to go up there and we sang the song and we hugged it out on stage. And then afterwards we were all hanging out and stuff. And, and we, I just remember us both being like, dude, we did it. I don't know how, but we did it. Here we are. We have the number. We we're best buddies. We wrote songs that we didn't know what people wanted to hear. We just wrote what was in our heart and didn't know if it would work or not. And one of those songs is the number one song in the country right now. How is that possible? We did it. And I just remember that. I'll never forget that night. And I still have it on video somewhere. Um, I'll have to show it to you sometime. But. That's incredible, man. That gave me chills, like, telling that. What a, like, what a cool memory. Well, so I want you to tell us a little bit about, like, the touring piece of it. So you've been back to Athens and played, I know. Oh, yeah. Yep. And have you, you've played the Georgia Theater. I have, yeah. That was, like, a bucket list moment for me, yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? First time you step on stage at the Georgia, Georgia Theater and going, man, like of all the full circle moments. I think that was the biggest one because it was a literal. For it wasn't like, oh, I used to love this guy's music and like I got to meet him, which is cool, or I got to play a show with him, which would have been super cool. And I have done that, but to literally be standing in the spot where the dream started, but instead of being in the crowd, being on the stage was super cool and and i it's still to my to my to this day my favorite venue in the world you know i played um last year with luke i mean we played thirty thousand seat amphitheaters and stuff and but somebody asked me my favorite it's still george theater because i mean like you said it's like that's where the dream started to have that moment and i keep every time i go there i have that same moment like uh, here i am i'm on that same stage you know and so it's cooler to be like every time i go back for more people in the crowd to like 
they singing my songs, you know, it gets even a little more, uh, a, a little more real each time. Have you ever thought about this, that one night you could be playing the Georgia theater or any other theater where, wherever you may be. And there's another young kid guy or girl that's watching your show and has the same moment watching your show that you had watching Eric churches and, and how, how special would that be for you? Definitely, man. And I think that would be, gosh, that would be the pinnacle there because, you know, if I'm ever to have that impact on someone that would go back to exactly how the dream started. When I said to myself, I don't know what he just did to me, but I got to figure out a way to do that. And so if that was to ever actually happen to me, that completes the dream. So kind of pivoting off that point, you had posted something on your Instagram, the original lyric sheet that was given to you uh, for does to me talk about that and, and what that meant to you. Yeah. So, so we wrote this song does we wrote the song does to me back in, I mean, I think 2016, me and Luke and I, and a guy named Tyler Reeve and a good buddy of ours. And, and I remember that day going, or we, we all were like, man, this sounds like something Eric church would do, you know, kind of thing like his style or whatever. And I think he liked this, you know, he'd think he'd be, he'd probably be into this song. And, but you know, at that time it's just a pipe dream because nobody knew Eric church and how to get in touch with him was Luke's success became more and more. And, you know, Luke met Eric and got on a few shows with Eric and played with him some. And, and so then, you know, they, they kind of, as we kept, you know, every time here and there, I'd always say to Luke, like, man, you ought to try that. Like you ought to send it over. So I'll never forget. Luke calls me one night and goes, well, I sent this on Eric. And I was like, yeah. He's like, guy loves it. I'm like, yeah. He's like, Dude, I don't know when it's coming out, but Eric Church, Eric Effing Church is singing on our song. <laughs> oh my, because that's Eric, that's Luke's idol. I mean, that's his musical hero too, which is kind of how we bonded in the beginning. But, uh, and I remember like just sitting on my couch, just like in a daze, like not knowing whether to cry or run around the house in any way. But back to the lyric sheet, Luke, the day that Eric went and sang that in the studio, Luke had the kind of the wherewithal to, to, to know how much this would mean to me. So he, the, the lyric sheet that, that Eric was using to sing from in the studio, he grabbed it on his way out. And so the next time he saw me, he handed it to me. He goes here, you know, I knew this would mean a lot to you. Here you go. So I've kept it on this. I've kept it like on top of my dresser at home and kind of waiting for that moment, hoping it would become a single one day. And then, and then, uh, so the other night I got to, I mean, shoot a week ago or two weeks ago, cause now it's in our second week is number one song right now. But, uh, uh, I got to go pull the paper out, pull the old Sharpie out and write the date and number one song in the country. And so, uh, man, God, and I've actually just bought a two days ago. I got in a frame to kind of put that in and, and I spot, but that was super full circle too. But I'll tell you a real special moment that says a whole lot about Eric is at the BMI awards this year, which is like songwriter awards, basically the same week as like the CMA awards every year. Yes. CMA, CMA awards. And in November, so Eric was sitting at the table kind of behind us. And, you know, afterwards, we're all, everybody's kind of talking and walking around. And everybody's like, you know, man, go talk to him, you know, and stuff. Cause everybody knows he's my hero. And I was like, no, man, it's just, it's enough for me to like know that he's singing on my song. So I'm sitting there talking with three guys and kind of my back is not all the way turned to there to where they're at, but I see somebody walking up to us. And it's just three of us standing in a group and, and I see a hand come out and he re, his, 
And I look over and this Eric Church and he's shaking my buddies, my two buddies' hands like, hey, I'm Eric, hey, whatever. And it gets to me and I'm like, hey, I'm Ray Fulcher. And he goes, I know who you are. He's like, and I, uh, he's like, I've been, I know you don't think this, but I've, I've, I've been seeing the stuff you're doing and listening to songs you wrote. And I just want to tell you, you're doing a great job. And I'm super proud to be on that song. And I mean, I just like, awful, man. I just, you know, I'm, I, I don't even remember what I said back to him because I was just so, you know, tongue tied really. And, but for him to do that, and I'm sure what, I'm sure somewhere along the line, somebody said to him, you're that guy's hero. And for him to take, the, the second to come over there and, and say not not only to meet me but to say hey man i think you're doing a great job it means a lot to me oh that's incredible man what a great story and i'm just thrilled thrilled that you had that moment and you're having that success so tell tell our listeners everything that you're doing now where where they can go see you live what where they can get your music i have some suggestions on certain songs but you can tell them what you think <laughs> So here's what we're doing on the, you know, and I know we talked about a bunch of songs that I've written and that's a super a passion of mine. And also the artist, the artist thing is going really well. And man, we're, we're actually on a, um, you know, we're hoping that it still happens. And if it don't, it'll happen next year. But uh, we're on Luke Combs arena tour this fall. So you can go out to on my page or his page and kind of see those dates and everything up until then right now is kind of in limbo, you know, with, with every, with the, everything going on with COVID and all that. But, uh, and I'll kind of give you an exclusive here. We've been using the we've been using the quarantine to to do some some big stuff behind the scenes as far as recording goes. So I'll have some some cool stuff um, that I'm man I'm I've been I'm more excited about the stuff we're working on now than anything that I've ever been excited or more excited about than, than anything I've ever put out before or ever done. And and I can't go into too much detail, but because we're on the Dogs podcast, I'm going to tell you there's there's a song on it that, and I'll send you the the rough version of it. Um, after this, if you want, but there's a song is maybe the most proud song that I'll, that I'll ever maybe put out. And I can tell you that it's going to be for all the dog people out there. And I think they're going to really, really love it. But um, anyway, so we're, we're working on that, but also somebody like me, EP, which I'm, I'm super proud of is out right now. You can find that at anywhere from uh, iTunes to Spotify to Apple music, Amazon, anywhere you listen to music, um, man, we had some really cool stuff happen with that album last year. And, and uh, we're really just, kind of trying to take that take that success and kind of bottle it up and, and use it as a springboard into the next into the rest of 2020 and 2021 and i'm i'm uh super ecstatic about that stuff well we uh will encourage everybody to support you every way you, every way they can uh, we're certainly supporting you already i think um my kids are starting to learn the words so we've been you know it's june now brother we're, we've just been bumping song of the summer like crazy yeah yeah We've been letting it go, man. My, my daughter likes down in my window too. So we've been bumping that one too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's good. So, um, all right, look, we close all our interviews uh, and thank you so much for being so generous with your time. We close all our interviews with the smart 16, which is 16 questions in honor of coach smart. So I'm going I'm to hit them with you. Okay. So, and I, I haven't done, I'm going to be honest with you. I had done any, uh, I haven't done any cheating or any homework on this either. So I'm going, I'm going off the dome right here. Oh, this is perfect. This will be organic. I like it. All right, first question. What's your middle name? I have two. Morgan Lloyd. Morgan Lloyd. Perfect. Morgan's my dad's name. Morgan Lloyd's my great granddad's name. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, who is your favorite dog of all time? Whoa. I'm going to go, man, I'll tell you what, uh, um, wild card here, Thomas Brown. Oh, yeah. The reason is that guy is the, uh, he is the hardest worker that I have ever met in my life and the most humble and kind person to have the 
ability he did and to see him shine at Georgia was awesome. But, uh, and I know he was a player when I was there and I have a soft spot in my heart for him, but I'd say he's, he's tough to beat for me. Thomas Brown. That's a, that's a good one. All right. What is, what's your favorite game that you were ever a part of? We talked about it already, but the, uh, the black Jersey Auburn 20, 2007, it was a four hour rush of adrenaline. So it's hard to beat that one. <laughs> yeah. That, that's tough to beat brother. All right. What's your favorite rivalry that the dogs have? Uh, man, I, I love a lot of them. I would say, and, and normally I would say Florida, and I love Florida, but I, I'm going to go with Auburn because my drummer went to Auburn, and and me and him have had a ton of memories going to those different games over the years, and and uh, so uh, and it's the to me it's that week every year is the perfect perfect football weather, so I'm going to go Auburn. You know, it's so funny when we started doing these questions, we kind of took like odds, like we think people answer stuff like this, and we we're like, you know, favorite rivalry is going to be Florida, right? Yeah. I'm gonna tell you, Auburn has, and it's really not been close. It has been the answer. Like, really? Yeah. Wow. And I, I wonder if it's just because, like, geographically, right? So many kids yeah. go to one or the other, or have family that went to one or the other. So I don't know, but it, it's that has been surprising. So yeah, yeah. but that, that's a great one. I mean, that was my first game, so I'm kind of biased to that one too. Yeah. So like, yeah. first first game at Sanford. So yeah. All right, favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference. I've been to all of them now, uh, except Ben Hill Griffin because we play in Jacksonville, man, I'm going to have to say Tennessee. And the first time I went there, it, it's not, I think the, the first time that uh, we, we didn't, we didn't win that first game. Um, it's man, you go in that thing and it is like a cathedral in there. And, um, you know, and even though, you know, Rocky top gets on our nerves, you know, and stuff like hearing that song in that stadium is just, I mean, pageantry at its finest, you know? And so, and the way, like I said, just the way it's set up is like it's those stands go straight up, you know, and it's a uh, it's just such a cool atmosphere. So, yeah, that'd be for me. We were at the 15 game where Nick tore his ACL first offensive play. Yeah, it was. So it had rained all morning. Uh, it, it just it was just it was indicative of how that entire game <laughs> like, totally. just uh, it stuck. But, yes, the stadium itself was just crazy. And I also think, too. And I know they talk about it. Man, that vile Navy is undersold. Like, that is such a cool deal. That's really cool. Yeah, the way that's all set up, it's neat, man. I'll take that back real quick. I want to correct myself. We won the first game in 05. 07, we lost in 07. Yeah. I, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Loudest home game you've ever attended. I think we might know the answer to that one. I mean, I know we keep going back to that, but it just don't get any louder than it was that day in 07. Blackout. All right, you get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose? And it, no problem at all if you choose Ray Fulcher. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to go – we'll go 1A and 1B. I'll say my name, Ray Fulcher, yeah. But, number, yeah, number two, I mean, it's kind of easy too because, it's you know, it's where the dream started. I would love to see Eric Church again there with everything that's happened since then and, like, relive that moment, you know, in a different way. How about Eric Church and Luke there singing Does Me? Oh, let's go. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, all right, I'm here for that. All right, let's make that happen. All right, you are at the world's largest outdoor, outdoor cocktail party. What cocktail are you mixing? Jack and Diet. If you are back in Athens, you get one meal. What's your favorite place to eat in Athens? Good one. Uh, Blind Pig. Blind Pig, baby. I love, I, I love that too, man. Something about that. I get the old, the blind pig, and they do this like, kind of like, pretty hot like jalapeno, like chicken sandwich, and they bring out those fries that are just done just right, but they've had the seasoning on it. 
Now, I would say this. that That's the one meal I would have of something that's still existing. If I picked one that's something that's not existing anymore, it, hands down, peaches on Maine, which is a, a place where we used to go. It's uh, like a meet and three place where we used to go. It was our tradition every home game Friday before we go to the football complex after after class we go to peaches and then, and they would cater a lot of stuff there too. But yeah, those it's not around anymore. Super sadly. Um, but yeah, those two. That's good. All right. So do you have, and this could be either when you were with the team or mm-hmm. now as a fan, like watching on TV or watching the stadium, do you have any game day superstitions? So yes. So if there is a, sh- so I have polos that I've polo shirts that I've kind of accumulated over the, and so what I've what I'll do is I'll start every season with a different one, all right. And a lot of them haven't been worn. And uh, until we lose, I wear the same one. And I do wash it, but I wear the same one. But if we ever slip up, that joker's back of closet. We're going to try another one. So the good thing is that 20, 2017 season, I didn't wear hardly nothing else. But that one I have, I still have it. But it's a one black polo, which brings it makes my makes me think. I'd have to say a tie now of like as far as my favorite game ever, the blackout. And then I wasn't working, but I was in the stands at the Rose Bowl. Hard to beat that too. So I'm going to go tie on the last, that one question. So I have two points about that answer. First off, phenomenal answer, uh, but I'm a little biased because I, I literally do the exact same thing. My wife, my wife thinks I'm insane. I pick like an outfit. It matters. It does matter. It matters to me. Yeah. So like I pick an outfit every year. So 17, I had, um, I had this just red shirt with the old dog on it, like not oh, yeah. Nike one, the old dog. Yeah. And then I had uh, a white quarter zip. Oh, it's so fresh. The one with like the zip on the left. Oh, it was a good year. It was a good year for apparel that year. Yeah. Brother, I wore that thing the whole year. Wow. Yeah. I wore it in Pasadena. I was sweating like crazy, but I couldn't break it. So, yeah. yeah. So you were in Pasadena too? Oh, dude, that was electric. That was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. We, uh, I got the listeners probably get sick of me saying this, but it's the only thing that describes it for me. That game was over and I looked at my brother and I said, homie, I, I need an IV. Like I am so emotionally and physically spent right now. <laughs> I watched that, that game. I mean, it was like when they, when Sony crossed the goal line, it was just like pandemonium, yeah, literal pandemonium in the stands. And I just was like, Oh, like a, like a, like I was five years old again. It was wild. Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. All right. Favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition? Oh, so, uh, man, I'm trying to think. Cause I'm thinking back to when I was uh, with the team and then, and then now. I mean, one of the uh, – as far as the game day atmosphere, I mean, it's, it's got to be the, the trumpet horn in the corner. I mean, that's – gives me chills thinking about that. My thing that I always did was when we first got there, I would always be one of the first. I would always try to be the first person out on the field. And just I would do like a even though I didn't play, I would just like I just would walk to like one end zone and back. And it's just because you never get that opportunity to be in an empty stadium like that with like on game day. You know what I mean? And so I always try to kind of take that moment in every time. All right. Black jerseys. Yes or no. Thought about this a lot. You know what? I don't think there's. I don't think there's an issue with it. I think my my for my own personal reasons, I love that how the memories are attached to like 07 and stuff and then and then 08 obviously 
kind of the the uh, 07 and the, the Sugar Bowl was another great one too. But then in 08, Alabama came there and stomped us with them. I, what I would like, what I would love is is to wear them another big game and us have a big win in them. That way, it takes the old, it takes the the uh, that gets the mojo back on our side because right now the black jerseys have some bad mojo on them. You know what I mean? With the, so uh, I would love, um, and I think Coach, you know, and at least from what he's what he says at face value on it, I, I love his idea about like, hey, if even if it's only once every two or three years, break them out. But I would I would love to like almost just out of nowhere, just come out against a a Tennessee at home or something like that in those things. You know what I mean? Would be I don't think there's any harm in that. Well, so you know, um, we took we took my son down for the Notre Dame game this year. You know, they had talked about doing like a blackout for the the fans, and it was very similar to how it was in 07. Like, okay, fans are going to do a blackout. There's no way the team's going to do it. And like right up until they came out, I was telling my brother, I was like, dude, I'm telling you, I think they're going to be black tonight, and it's going to be insane. Like they're debuting the lights, like the whole deal, it's going to be pandemonium. And they came out in red, and I was like, I'm like a little disappointed just because I thought it would have been electric. But it was, I mean, it was still awesome. But I, I thought he might have. I'll tell you what, you know, we won the great game. It was a great game. They missed a great opportunity for that. With the with the, the new lights, with black jerseys would have been sick. Oh, oh it would have been incredible. And it was, it was electric. Oh, that yeah. But I, it was incredible. So I was in, or I was, anyway, some town in Michigan playing. Sorry, I can't remember the name of, of where it was exactly. But I was in Michigan up there in the, up there in the green room watching and my band is on stage playing the intro music and I have my in-ears in and I'm still, I know the listeners can't see, but like I'm still, uh, my, my, my guitars around my neck, the intro song is going and somebody in the talk about Mike is like, where's Ray at and stuff. And I'm still up there watching. I'm like trying to walk away and like set my phone down. I'm like, all right, I got to go. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I follow up question then because I always am curious about this with like artists or because if you're a fan of a team yeah. and it's like religion, oh, right? Like it's I don't, I don't miss, I don't miss a minute. So like if you have shows, are you like plotting out the schedule going, Oh dude, we got a show at seven yeah. this night and it's probably going to be like a seven o'clock. So that one, that one I was able to watch the, I kind of was, I was watching the very beginning and then I was after the show, I was able to watch the whole second half, but yeah, it's tough. And what I do to comp- combat that is like, I try to I DVR every game so that even if and what 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 sucks about that sometimes is I have to like obviously you have to live under a rock not to know the outcome sometimes but if I if I know that there's a game where and I've done this successfully a couple of times if I know there's a game where there's no way that I can watch any of it I I will turn my phone off literally for a day so that no one, I'll tell my band members, don't you dare say anything to me about. It. <laughs> I'll get home, turn it on, and I just pretend it's like that. I, that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I've done that twice now. So I know that that's extreme, but I do DVR every 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 game. Nope. Hashtag respect for that because no. this is it's me, my brother, and then my co-host. We're on like a group text together. And it's like first rule of the fall, all right? If somebody has like a wedding or like a family event, you got to send out the text. Hey, hey, boys, I, I ain't watching live. Don't send, don't send me texts. Oh yeah, I, I don't want to know any of it. I want to know it. Yeah. And then you just, you just gotta, you just gotta black it out until you get back and do it. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's text too. That and that's why I have to. It's like we have, um, 
it's like 15 of us in there and it's all it's literally every once in a while like you know they'll congratulate me on my number one or if one of them has a kid or something it's like but if it ain't that it's all dogs and so on game you know and there it's such a big group that we're like you know i'm not going to tell them not to text in it and so i just have to i have to turn my phone off if i want to know i gotta turn my phone off all right loss you're still not over oh yeah you know I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's been it's been the most popular answer for sure. Yeah, I mean it's uh I still go I still have dreams about that, and I'm not kidding. I still have a dream about like winning it and then waking up and being like, no. But uh, yeah, I collapsed like somebody had removed the bones from my lower body. Oh, I I was at a friend's house, and when it happened, I walked. You know, like everybody's super sad, and I walked outside, got in my truck, and then. 30 minutes later, they text me and we're like, hey, man, are you like, are you okay? Like, are you cool? Are you okay? Because you're still in our driveway. And I was like, I can't, I don't want to drive right now. I just got to like, I got to sit here for a minute. You know, it was so hard. To get, and in a lot of ways, I still hadn't, you know, um, what a great season though. I mean, but in that, to be that, I think it's, if that's a blowout, it doesn't, that's, it doesn't feel the same. It's like, to be that close and to feel that like we probably should have won it is like, hard hard to do with that's what we've talked about a lot is i feel like folks always get bent out of shape about losses whatever happens right Right. but i'll give you an example we went to the 18 sec title game against alabama right i would take the 19 game 100 times out of 100 over the 18 game because it was never like it was in question, right? Like this year, it was just like, well, look, they're better than us. They beat the pants off of us. It is totally. what it is. Totally. 18, it took me like three weeks to get over that game. It was so brutal. That one was so brutal, too. I mean, that one's got to be tied. Oh. And the other one's only only overtakes it because it was natty. But though it was the same. Oh, it hurt. Oh, yeah. It, it was brutal. Well, I, we don't want to talk about that anymore. All right. <laughs> What's your order at the varsity? Oh, easy. Fries, double chili cheeseburger, uh, Diet Coke. All right. There ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs, yes or no? Yes, for Georgia, but I love being able to, and this maybe goes back to when I was living at home and I don't get as much a chance to do this a lot, but I used to love like going to the deer stand, coming back and immediately coming home, being able to watch football or it coming on right after college game day. So, yeah, for everywhere but the SEC, 12 o'clock games. Outlaw for the SEC, though. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. There's an amendment to the amendment. I'm yeah. good with that. All right, last question. College football playoff, expand to eight teams or find how it is? Man, I like how it is. And the reason I say that is because um, – and it may be – may or may not be more just – a more just winner, a more – Maybe it feels more like, okay, we definitely got it right with eight. But here's the thing. The coolest thing about college football, I think, is that every game matters so much. And I think every game matters so much. And there is a little bit of that. Like, it is a little subjective. And that's what makes it super cool to me. It's so different than any other sport. And I think the, and I think four is perfect because it does, it's not just two, it is four. And I think, you know, whoever is going to get that fourth spot, it's the debate leading up to it is part of what makes college football special, I think. You know, and so 
for me, I'd love to keep it at four. All right, Ray, you have successfully completed the Smart 16. Thank you for obliging us with that. Well, hey, man, thanks for spending time with us. Um, for all our listeners, please support Ray in any and every way you can. Um, buy his music. Go and support him on the road. He's he's obviously a damn good dog. Loves the red and black just like we all do. So let's support him every way we can. And, and Ray, thank you so much, brother. Thank you, buddy. I had a blast. That wraps everything up with Ray. Boss, what were your thoughts? Man, he is he would fit perfectly in with any of our text chains, conversations, pretty much anything dogs related and i mean really music related as well uh any of our just any of our conversations uh just you and me just talking about pretty much anything um i i loved his story just him talking about his story about him just going in and talking to mrs mettenberger and asking for a job and then him ended up talking to the head equipment guy and you know he didn't know any know anything. He just walked in and then he got the job and it's kind of how he ended up getting into music. And he had that, that moment at the Eric church concert and decided he's going to go pick up a guitar. And then he was kind of at the point in his, his life after he got his um, masters. And basically he was, you know, at a crossroads where he could either decide, made the decision whether he could either live with himself if he didn't take this chance or take the chance and see where it took him. And he decided to take the chance. And I mean, his songs are all over the place. I mean, I know that I did not know before we started doing our research on this, how many of his songs that he had written that, that we knew, you know, um, from Luke Combs. Um, and then their friendship also is, is, is also amazing, but just his, his love for the dogs and everything he talks about is so true. And then when he was talking about his, his new stuff that he has coming out and how, you know, he gave us that little tidbit about, his new song and how it's, you know, basically a love song to the dogs and stuff like that. So I mean, that was just great, but I loved everything that he had to say. He about hands down my favorite interview. I'm really sorry that I missed it. Uh, really kind of kicking myself for that one. Cause I would have loved to have been part of that one. Um, as I'm listening, was listening to it, like I'm, I'm laughing and li- while I'm editing it and it just, it was a great interview and I, I wish him nothing but the best of future success. And I'm a huge Ray Fulcher fan going forward. And, you know, I'm rooting for him so hard. Yeah, absolutely. So am I. I mean, I, I, I've been so tuned in to everything he's been doing since we talked with him. Just because, I mean, first off, just super down to earth guy um, was so gracious with his time talking with us. And I mean, told us so many great stories. I mean, I had a lot of different parts of the interview I really enjoyed, but I love when we asked him about, you know, do you have any game day superstitions? And he's like, well, you know, I got a lot of polos and I've been, you know, I'll pick a polo at the beginning of the year. And he's like telling the story and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is exactly what I do. Like we share the same sickness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It's just so funny. I'm just, it just made me, made me not feel so crazy because somebody else is, picking an outfit and sticking with it as long as they're winning. So that, that, that was funny. Um, you know, I, I love country music and I love Nashville and I, I've never had a much more transformative experience than I did when my wife, my brother and I went to the Bluebird. And so getting to hear him talk about his experiences at the Bluebird was really, really incredible. Um, I loved that. I mean, how, how cool is that if you're a, if you're a songwriter um, and you're a recording artist to, to have that experience and get to share your music in such an intimate setting. So I love that. 
also just think there's a common theme in his story about not being afraid to step into his light and kind of live in his gifts, right? Like, and I think that starts with not being afraid to ask the question, like, can I, can I do this? So to your point with him going into the building and just asking people like, Hey, I'd like to work here or him going to the concert and him just deciding I'm going to play the guitar and then pursuing music and then coming to a point and just saying, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on myself. I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to chase this. And even if it's not successful, at least I know I went and did it. I mean, I just think, you know, dogs fan, non-dogs fan, um, just in general, I think that is an awesome, awesome thing. So I loved that. Um, and hey, man, he makes kick-ass music too. I mean, I, I, the stuff that he's written with Luke and, and other country artists is awesome. Um, but I, I would just encourage everybody, please, please check out Ray's music. His, his stuff is awesome. And if you have consumed any of his stuff on IG Live uh, or on Facebook Live or anything like that um, during all this, I mean, you've got you to gotta know. He's about to release some fire um, coming up here shortly. So... And on top of that, man, he's a dog. I mean, that he that boy is a dog. And if you can't get behind him and you're a fan of the dogs, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, he's he's everything you want to root for. So go support Ray in, in any way you can. We're going to link all his socials and everything in the show notes of the episode. So please go give him a follow. Please download his music. Uh, put it on your playlist. Stream it on Spotify. I mean, just support him any way you can. I mean, damn good dog. And, and we're so jacked up that we get to talk to him. So go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.